This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Wednesday, August 12th. The Cubs take two games in Cleveland, two straight games at Progressive Field. Brendan, that's got to be the first time in franchise history that they've done that. Is that right? First time, Corey. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of the last time they did it. It's on the tip of my tongue, Corey, but I cannot remember it. Do you know? I'll Google it as I get through the rest of this interview, and and maybe it'll come to me. Um, But two games set out in Cleveland with the Indians and the Cubs take both of those games. They are now 12 and three on the season. We are a quarter of the way through a 60-game season, and the Cubs have three losses, folks. Uh, I don't want to speak for all of you, but allow me to. We are vibing right now, okay? This is an amazing start to this season, and obviously the Cleveland rotation moved around a little bit because a couple of their pitchers can't uh, handle the protocol and decided to be very selfish uh, after that series with the White Sox in Chicago. Uh, But this was a a Cleveland team that had been pitching very well uh, and had not given up more than four runs to anybody all season. Guess what? The Cubs did it twice in these two games. They did something that no other team playing Cleveland had done. They win both games. They're at 12-3, and three, and they head for a four-game series with Milwaukee. So we will catch you up on all of the things that happened in this two-game series, and we will look forward to the four games with the Milwaukee Brewers starting tomorrow with you, Darvish, on the mound. But that will be later in the podcast. Brendan, it dawned on me. I finally, I, I, I thought about it while I was doing the rest of that intro here uh, for our podcast. And I, I remember the, the last time that the Cubs won two straight games at Progressive Field against the Cleveland Indians actually also included a Kyle Hendricks start on a mm-hmm. Wednesday. Yeah. So um, okay. what I'm referring to is back in 2016, uh, the Chicago Cubs beat the Cleveland Indians in the World Series. And in order to do that, they had to win game six and game seven on the road in Cleveland. And Kyle Hendricks, like he did tonight in Cleveland, started uh, a game on a Wednesday in 2016, though, it was Game 7 of the World Series, which, as I just mentioned, uh, the Chicago Cubs won. So I I assume that having to play the Cubs is really, really unpleasant for the Indians and their fans, uh, but I make no apologies, and I will never stop being so obnoxious about, just to reiterate, the Cubs winning the 2016 World Series. There is only one time I've promoted wearing the walking bear jersey it was today Corey. this wednesday there was there was only one jersey possible to even pick you had to give the walking bear blue jersey on a wednesday in cleveland with hendrix on the mound the only option yes a good 
throwback to, uh, again, the Cubs winning the World Series in those jerseys. I, <laughs> I said to Brendan before we hopped on, I'm going to see how many times I can mention it in the first five minutes of the podcast. So um, uh, We're not done yet. we got many more to go. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the, the quota was. We should have said an over-under on, on Twitter or something before uh, the thing. Let's see how many times I can jam <laughs> this in there. Uh, but always good to go back to Cleveland. It, it, it's, it's funny to watch... Cubs Twitter and Marquis, Lennon, JD, everybody, like just any opportunity to relate something back to what happened in 2016, everybody takes. And I, and I just love it. It's it's amazing to, you know, to like in Wednesday's game, it's like, oh, has Chris Bryant ever hit a home run in Cleveland before? It's it's great. Everybody just uh, is is ready with their content. They're ready to go and they're they're ready to make those references. But I, I loved uh, Rizzo's quotes when he was talking to Kipnis saying, oh, we celebrated there and we yeah. celebrated there and there when he was walking into uh, Progressive Field. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. And, and I think Kipnis responded with like, yeah, I, I got it, dude. <laughs> thanks so yeah so that is where we are but as we always do to start these episodes we will start with uh, just a a brief recap especially brief because we only have two games to talk about here on Tuesday the Cubs winning seven to one behind the person we will talk about first that would be your boy John Lester, who improves to two and zero on the year, he goes six innings, allowing three hits, one earned, two walks, and four strikeouts. He has a one point zero six ERA, folks. Uh, a little bit of a disclaimer: if you're even relatively new to listening to this podcast, if John Lester has a one point zero six ERA, you can bet that that is the first thing that we are going to be talking about, and we will be spending time on it. Uh, That is just the rules of the Cubs-related podcast. But that was Lester, Ryan Tapera, and Colin Ray followed him with really nice work out of the bullpen. Three innings of work for those two guys. Colin gave up one hit and struck out one, otherwise zeros across the board. No hits uh, for Tapera, no walks for either of them, and no runs. So a really nice showing from the Cubs pitching staff on Tuesday. The Cubs getting their runs in this one. Jason Hayward, a big two games in Cleveland after being moved to the seven spot, something that we've talked about. Ian Happ getting to move up in the lineup a little bit was supposed to be the same on Wednesday, but Kyle Schwarber, a late scratch after he was hit by a pitch in the knee. So those two moved back up. Happ still in front of Hayward though. So that change seems to be something that they'll do going forward. In the second, Hayward with an RBI single to score Wilson Contreras. The Cubs would open things up in the top of the sixth, a Wilson Contreras sack fly, an Ian Happ RBI single, and a Jason Hayward three-run home run, his third, second excuse me, of the season. The Indians would add one in the sixth, and the Cubs would get one more on a wild pitch in the seventh. Again, seven to one, the final on Tuesday. On Wednesday, it was seven to two. So always good when you can score seven runs a game, especially, as I mentioned, against the pitching staff that had previously not given up more than four to anybody that they have played all season. This one was behind the arm of the aforementioned Kyle Hendricks. He improves to three and one on the year, six innings, seven hits. One earned, no walks, and five strikeouts. Following him in this one was Dan Winkler, who walked a couple guys. Not a great outing for Dan, but Rowan Wick came in to put out a fire to end a threat. One hit, no earned, no walks, and three strikeouts. Rowan Wick was fantastic on Wednesday night. And Jeremy Jeffress continues to be uh, a light in that bullpen. An inning, a strikeout, no hits, no runs, no walks. And on the season, he has yet to give up a hit. When Len Casper said that during the broadcast on Wednesday, I was like, what? And uh, yeah, looked it up and confirmed that that is true. Jeremy Jeffers has been really good, touching 95 in the outing on Wednesday. We will talk about all of that, of course, at the end of this podcast when we run through the bullpen, which is how we've been doing things lately. The runs in this game. Anthony Rizzo, his fourth home run of the year. In the third, in the fifth, the Cubs would add a few more on a Jason Hayward sack fly and a David Bodie two-run single. In the sixth, Chris Bryant with his second home run of the year. Is is there anything better, Brendan, than when Brizzo homers in the same game? When they go back-to-back, but... Few things. 
Yeah, yeah in, in the same game, it's it's just a thing of beauty. Uh, the Indians would get one in the bottom of the seventh to make it five to two, but the Cubs would add a couple more in the eighth and ninth on a Jason Kipnis ground rule double and a Jason Hayward double, respectively. The Jasons coming through in the eighth and ninth to give the bullpen a little bit of room. Again, seven to two, the final in this one. So all things considered, Brendan, I, I mean, obviously this could not really have gone any better uh, for two games in Cleveland. Obviously, you miss uh, the the two guys, you know, Clevenger, who you were supposed to face, so you, you, you get some different guys. But the Cubs continuing to do really good work on offense. Their their starting staff continues to be lights out. And we saw some some really good performances on the whole from the bullpen here. So only two games in Cleveland, but this team is is just rolling. I mean, when they're when they're twelve and three and they haven't lost a series, it's it's difficult to uh you know, find the words to like really extend what you want to say. It's it's a lot easier to just go, they're playing great baseball right now. They're grinding at bats again. And it's not to bring up 2016 because they did beat the Indians in the World Series in 2016. But the reason we bring that up is because after 2016, there was a common theme by Jed Hoyer and Theo Epstein. And that was the Cubs not grinding at bats from 2017, even through last year. They've been doing that this year. And even with three days off, four days off, they came back, did not miss a beat. Yeah, they did not hit Carrasco and get a lot of runs against them, but they're able to put up seven runs because you get Carrasco out before the fifth is over, and then you pile on in the bullpen. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you never expect at a price you never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts every 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon signup on top of their other discount. DealDash.fm backwards slash blue wire. That is D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M backwards slash blue wire. Yeah, and again, we we've been keeping an eye on this. I don't have the updated, you know, starter pitch count totals because at this point it's a lot of starters. But it, this offense does have that feel of that lineup is long and bothersome. Yeah. And that they are really grinding these at bats. They're seeing a lot of pitches. They're putting quality at bats together, and obviously, you're seeing that translate with how frequently they're they're putting up some pretty sizable run totals. So uh, it's like you said, Brendan. It's you know you don't always want to go back to 2016, but that's you know I think the gold standard, obviously, for Cubs baseball and Cubs baseball in this era specifically. So yeah. it's it's easy to look at at least just from a trend perspective and say you know this is something that they that team was doing maybe they don't do it as it's well or whatever but you know th- this kind of like long bothersome lineup is is something that was a hallmark of of that team so it's it's always good to see but yeah I I, I do want to start by we, we'll, we'll talk about both starters I mean but I, I do just want to start with John Lester uh, because he's my guy and he looks really really good and it's something that I've said a lot and was also something that I I think David Ross was saying after the game yesterday, and you hear me repeat this a lot, and it's not just because I feel like saying it or hearing myself talk or anything like that, but the reason that I say regardless what stuff he has, even if it's diminished velocity-wise, etc., John is going to find a way to make it work. You just have to trust a guy like that. And that's what we're seeing. His command in these starts has been really, really good. There was uh, a one particular pitch. You could not have put it on the corner any better if you placed it there, if you painted it there. I mean, literally the definition of painting uh, was what he was doing in this game on Tuesday. 
And again, he's not overpowering guys. He's pitching to contact, which we've also talked about. You know, he's smart enough to know, like, if these guys want to come in here and hit a bunch of 300-foot fly balls, be my guest, right? If they want to hit a bunch of soft grounders to my infield that has a lot of really good defenders, be my guest, right? And that's what we're seeing from John through these three starts. And again, I I keep highlighting this because he's not supposed to be the best guy in this rotation. I don't think he will be uh, throughout the year. I, I like That's not the expectation, but when he can give you these starts that are this good, that there's a lot of value in that. And through 17 innings, thrown 17 innings so far this season, he's allowed just seven hits and two runs. Like, that's really good, guys. I mean, plain and simple. So I'm pretty thrilled with the way that that he's looked and the way that he's gone about this season and at least through three starts certainly looks like what a lot of us thought was going to be the case with John was that with a a shorter season even though the ramp up was obviously unorthodox and and probably not super fun for a, a veteran like that to be kind of thrown for a loop with the schedule shorter season he doesn't have to worry about the longevity as much and you know I think we all expected him to be pretty good obviously I you know don't I, I wouldn't hold him to a 1.06 ERA. Uh, but this is also, I want to note, something that we talked about as it relates to Quintana. One of the things I talked about when we were talking about, um, you know, how much the rotation would miss Jose Quintana and how Brendan and I often bring up that, you know, his value is more in his consistency over 162 games and and that sort of thing. One of the, the differences that I noted about not being as concerned with it being Quintana who was missing these starts as opposed to if it was Lester was I believed that Lester presented the opportunity to give you more starts like he has to start this season. More starts where he's just really good and nobody touches him. Quintana does that sometimes, but I just don't, I I think, again, his value is more in the consistency, being an above average pitcher for a long time and and giving you that durability. John is a guy, though, he can still, even if the stuff is is diminished and he's worried about his bullets and, and whatever he said, he can go out there and give you really, really good starts, top of the rotation level starts, even if that's not what he's going to do all the time. So I, I think that's what he's done so far. His command has been really good uh, to start the this 2020 season. And yeah, I'm I'm pretty pretty thrilled with it for, for the way that he's starting his age 36 season. And part of the reason that I rail on this stuff is when he signed, people complained that the contract was too long and that the back end was going to be a mess. Even after he had already delivered on the front end of the contract and been well worth what the Cubs paid him, you still had people that were worried about the back end of the contract despite the value he had already given you. And he just continues to go out there and be really good. Yeah. And so I'm pretty jazzed about it, Brendan. As you should. There's a lot of discussion about Lester and his whiff rate. And some are suggesting that because he's not getting the whiffs and the strikeouts, the success is not going to continue. It's a common discussion point for most pitchers, right? Like you want to see more whiffs, fewer walks, fewer home runs. It's what quantifies FIP. I I get that sentiment. Lester, I think we have to treat a little bit differently. His FIP, by the way, is 3.8. It's above league average. So yeah, he's not getting the whiffs. And I'll be the first to tell you, I want to see the whiffs go up. Like I'm going to be on that train as well. I don't think it's sustainable to only be whiffing guys at a 5% rate. I think he will increase the whiffs, but at the same time, you cannot discount the type of contact he's inducing. He's inducing an extreme amount of weak contact, so much so that only 6% of pitchers in the league have given up hard or uh, less hard hit contact. That's insane. He's giving up uh, hard contact at rates that he's never even done before in his career. So you can make the argument on one end, yeah, he's given up a lot of contact, more contact than he's ever given up. At the same end, he's giving up more weak contact than he's ever given up. That's a good thing. And he's doing that because he's pretty drastically changed his entire sequencing. And in 2016, he came over with the Cubs in 2015 uh, and 2016 by throwing almost 50% four-seamers. Okay, This year, he's only throwing 30% four-seamers. He's throwing 
Corey, three times as many changeups this year than he did in 2015 or 2016. Three times. That's a big, big increase. He's throwing a changeup almost once every five pitches now, and that's what he did against the Indians. He's also throwing more cutters this year. In 2015 and 2016, he threw a cutter 25% of the time. This year, throwing it 35% of the time. So he's making up for his dip in velocity, which is down a lot. It's at 89 right now on average. He's making up for that dip in velocity by doing two things. One, throwing more cutters. And two, throwing more change-ups. And doing so with incredible command. You posted a GIF on Cubs Insider, at Real Cubs Insider on Twitter, of that backdoor trademark cutter. He's doing that consistently and then some by going inside, throwing those same pitches at the kneecaps of right-handed batters. It's incredibly difficult to pick up when you complement that with this changeup that he's throwing more this year. So can Lester continue to actually have this success? I think, yeah. I think I think it, 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 there is definitely an argument to be made. If he continues to throw with this command, generate this amount of weak contact, and you make an assumption that he's going to get a little bit more whiffs going forward, which, by the way, he got four strikeouts against the Indians on Tuesday. You can make that assumption that when the whiffs slightly go up, even if they're well below league average, which they're probably going to be, that amount of weak contact coupled with few walks and few home runs is going to give the Cubs a, a huge boost at the back end of their rotation. And when Quintana comes back, and if Lester keeps throwing this well, Q's going to the bullpen, man. You have Mills, you have uh, Chatwood still throwing well. Like this, this is a solid, solid rotation. And if there's a time to throw Q to give one of these guys a day off, that's an extra bonus. You have a lot of pitching depth because Lester is kind of surprising a lot of people, including Pakoda. I mean, Pakoda just gave Lester a terrible projection, an ERA almost close to five for this year. He's not doing that. So this this is a huge development in that Lester is adapting to his diminished stuff by throwing a completely different pitch repertoire and getting an exceptional amount of weak contact. That should be a big deal for everyone. Wow, it's crazy. It's If only there were a, a podcast host who's been telling you not to doubt John Lester and to just trust that he'll figure something out for years. Uh, it's crazy to see that happen in real life. Who but thought, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's pretty much what I got on John. As far as Hendricks is concerned, just nothing really new with him. He's just filthy. I mean, he was great on Wednesday night. Uh, good to see him have a, a nice start on the road. You know, his his home road splits are, are one of the, you know, kind of stranger things to figure out. Um, but he was really good in this game. And again, as we always say, he just has some at-bats where it's it's so fun to watch him and see the gears turn in real time where he, and JD was talking about this a lot on Wednesday night, if you were watching on Marquee, just how you can see Hendricks checking, you know, what the guy's eye level is, where he's expecting the pitch, if he's late, if he's early, and it's just a masterful thing to watch. Uh, so I, I don't really have anything revolutionary on Kyle Hendricks, but it was uh, just nice to see him get out there and do his thing. And I got to tell you, Brendan, I'm game to watch Kyle <laughs> Hendricks pitch at Progressive Field on a Wednesday anytime, my man. Yeah, Hendricks is doing the same thing Lester is doing in that he's giving up a lot of weak contact as well. And uh, Hendricks is throwing a little bit faster to start the year. He's sitting around just a tick over 87, which is good to see. And he's still commanding all of his pitches. His curveball spin rate, by the way, Corey, this year, better than 83% of other pitchers. So that's another development that we'll continue to watch. I don't have much to add on Hendricks, to be honest with you. I think he looked good predictably, continues to look good every start. He's a staple in the rotation. He's probably the one guy I have the most confidence in in giving six solid innings. I love you, Darvish. Don't get me wrong. This is not a not to discount you whatsoever. This is actually just to bring up Hendricks and what he's been doing and how how impressive it is, honestly. So overall, it, that's it's just speaking to the stability of the rotation. It, it was the single greatest unpredictable variable for this team by every projection system out there. And it's been one of the better, more consistent rotations in the league. They're breaking computers, Corey. Yeah, it's it's really nice to see this rotation. And again, something we talked about a little bit in the last episode is that for the most part, 
the defense looks a lot cleaner and you know we're not seeing as much of some of the sloppiness that we saw especially in in 2019 so when you take that exit velo stuff and and you you know you you have the confidence that this defense behind them is going to scoop that stuff up they're going to turn it into outs they're going to make those clean plays it bodes well it's it's a good system have the guys not hit the ball very hard and convert it into outs we've seen it work and I will give uh bench coach Andy Green some credit so there are some quotes from KB and Bodie about uh, Andy Green working with the defenders to clean up some of the sloppiness we've seen in years past so that's that's to the coaching staff's credit we talked about a lot of the defense with Madden last year and the base running and whatnot and those two features this year have been among the best in the league their top five for base running and defense all together. So you got to give Andy Green and David Ross and the coaching staff a lot of credit. Yeah, that, that's that's a, a good point that you brought up uh, about Green. We've heard a lot about Breslow too. Like it's it's nice to hear, you know, we've seen so much coaching turnover over the past several years, um, some more notable than others. And it's it's nice. The the guys in the past did good jobs and they're responsible for, for a lot of the stuff that you see and, you know, the winning the World Series that we've ta- you know mentioned 50 times now. Uh, but it's, you know, when you make those changes, it's nice to hear those things like KB talking about Green and uh, some of the stuff that Breslow's been able to do with a lot of these guys. It's, it's nice when, you know, you make those changes and it's not always easy to see or feel the tangible result of those changes. But then sometimes stuff like that does come out and, you know, you're able to be like, oh, okay, yeah. like it sounds like these changes were for the better and then they're, they're paying off and we're seeing those results. So that is always good to see. Uh, again, I mean, the, the Cubs starting staff has been really, really good. You've had uh, a couple of not so great outings for some of these guys, but on the whole, they have been really, really good. I mean, the amount of quality starts that this team is putting together is really, really exciting. Uh, the the amount of times, you know, the and, and this is kind of something that we talked about. You know, we knew that a couple of these guys maybe had the potential to, to do some lights out crazy stuff. Uh, but in general, I think the, the idea that you and I both had with this rotation, Brendan, was th- at the very least, they're going to keep this team in games right? And they're going to give you quality starts and then they're going to keep things moving for the rest of the team and let the offense do their thing. And they've done that and more. So I I think uh, very, very pleased with the rotation. As far as Q is concerned, uh, you know, he's still working his way back, throwing the bullpens and sim games. Uh, He's uh, over at South Bend, I believe the, the, um, satellite camp. Sorry, I had to think of the word satellite for a minute, but (laughs) The the report on him, at least on Wednesday, was that, you know, the, the issue in his thumb is is not there anymore. He feels good, but still working his way back and, and still no set timetable on that. And given that, you know, there's still no set time uh, or set idea for exactly how they plan to bring him back into the fold or exactly how they plan to use him. So we'll probably have at least, a, you know, a few more starts from guys like Chatwood and Mills to maybe get a better idea of he's definitely not, you know, or definitely shouldn't be thrown right back into the rotation, or maybe you could think about it. We'll see. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and the Cubs are finally kicking off their season, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the ads, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ori. See what they had to say and what it will be like playing without fans in a series that they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering expert. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFLSundayTicket.tv. You can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, sundayticket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit nflsundayticket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. So want to talk about the offense a little bit now. Uh, A couple of things to look at here. Uh, You know, not necessarily any 
groundbreaking stuff in these couple games. As I mentioned in the intro, we did see David Ross move Ian Happ up and Jason yes. Hayward down one spot, uh, which is something that we had advocated for on this very podcast. Uh, And, you know, that bearing fruit in these uh, first couple games. Jason Hayward had a big series here, and Ian Happ continues to look really, really good at the plate. So I think as we kind of go along here in David Ross's first year, that was, uh, I was pretty excited to see that. I, I, I think that his willingness to make those changes and try to tweak things just a little bit to maximize that lineup, reward Ian Happ for the work that he's done, and if if that's the player that he is going to be, you want that person hitting higher in the order. Uh, so I, I like Ross being a little flexible there and, and saying, you know what, like Jason Hayward can still bring his defense, and as we saw in these two games in Cleveland, he can still contribute on offense, but perhaps he doesn't have to hit high as high in the order that's it's 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 really that simple it's it's not meant to uh rip on Jason Hayward when we say we wanted him moved down it's more just what little things can we be doing to maximize this lineup and even when we talked about it we said that that was a complete nitpick and you know really in the long run not going to make that big of a difference but just in the the early returns I'm kind of seeing how David Ross is strategizing things his willingness to make moves uh, and and things like that again like it's just he just continues to get really high marks from uh, those of us sitting on our couches watching him manage a baseball team because he I mean he just the 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 intuition he seems to have with this team, the decisions that he's made, the basis for those decisions, and 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 what you can kind of look at and make sense of when he's making these decisions. I continue to be more in love with David Ross by the day, Brendan. You and I were talking to friend of the pod, Ryan Tumer, about why the lineup looks different. And we were trying to figure out, is it a Madden thing? Is it a David Ross thing? Is it a random thing? And the more I thought about it, and after reading some uh, some posts by The Athletic, highlighting Alberto Mora and his deficiencies over the years, it, it kind of makes sense why we're seeing this. And it, it does contrast David Ross's managerial style to that of Joe Madden. Not, not in a bad versus good way. It's never that black and white. But one particular point that Sahad of Sharma of The, of the Athletic brought up was in 2017... Alberto Mora destroyed lefties, and that prompted what Madden did over the next two years with the front office. You saw Mora play a lot against left-handed batters because of that 2017 year. But at the same time, Almora got more playing time, was up with a big league club, took at-bats away from other people because of that skewed 2017 year. And so I think him playing, Almora playing a little bit more than Hap in some situations, indirectly stunted Hap's development. Ross using these guys consistently, okay, consistently, when even when they're struggling, that that has to signal to the players a level of confidence and comfort in failing. And last year in 2019, the Cubs they wanted to communicate to their players. Who would be playing in advance? So what Madden did with the coaching staff was send out a group text to the team that in each particular series, here are the lineups. So each guy knew for three or four games in that series who was playing on each one of those days. There still is a level of uncertainty for the players about the next series and the series after that. And if they see them only in the lineup one of three days, they know maybe in their minds they have to perform to play in the next series. So it was almost like potentially a counterproductive strategy. With Ross, you're seeing Hap in the lineup every day. You're seeing Hayward in the lineup every day. And at the start, you saw Nico Horner in the lineup pretty consistently until the last few games. And so that signals to, I think, the players that despite failing or struggling, you're going to get playing time. You're still going to see at best. We saw Hayward's offense in the last few games. It popped up probably because probably because he's been seeing consistent pitches. And we're seeing Hap take hold of roles. We're seeing Kipnis maybe take more hold of a role facing right-handed pitchers and sticking with that and rewarding their guys for their success. That's another feature that Madden may not have 
uh, promoted indirectly unintentionally is that when guys are hitting well and seeing pitches, Madden sometimes played the matchups, maybe put in Elmora against the lefty because in 2017, two years ago, he did 338 weighted on base average against it. It was a fault. It was faulty logic, but you can see how on paper statistically that made sense, but it did contrast what you saw. And one other example I remember so distinctly, and you and I were talking about this on the podcast last year, Schwarber went off for a few games and then he sat three straight games. Madden sat him. And maybe there's some reasons we didn't know, but it didn't make sense to us. And I think ultimately what I'm trying to get at is that Ross is one, encouraging and rewarding good outcomes, but he's also not going to punish you for bad outcomes. You're going to have a lot of consistency, a lot of predictable consistency that I think the players really do appreciate, Corey. Really, on the whole, I've I've just been quite impressed with the decision-making process that he's undergone, the way that he's laid out his lineups, the way that he's managed things, uh, and, you know, again, doing all of this with also something that, that Joe dealt with, you know, being given a bullpen that requires some uh, fine care and, you know, uh, careful handling, right, which is not an easy task when you're trying to navigate all of this, making decisions about when to take starters out, etc. So uh, I've, yeah, I mean, I, I continue to just be very, very impressed with David Ross. I, I think both you and I, and I, for the most part, the, a lot of fans, I think, expected him to be a really good manager. Uh, obviously, the players tried to convey that sentiment to us as much as they could, uh, you know, to believe in him and, and believe that this was going to go really well. But now that we're we're actually seeing it, and especially now that we're seeing it in games that count, I I just continue to be really thrilled that he's the manager of this team. And you know, this is only year one, and this is an unorthodox year. And so just what we've seen in these these first uh you know 15 games has me very very excited for David Ross being the manager of this team going forward and, and you know in in long term. I think the team is in very good hands. So it it's been a very exciting start in that regard. Uh want to just wrap up on on Hayward in particular. Uh, yeah. Big series for him. He goes three for four on Tuesday with a homer and four RBIs, and then on Wednesday he follows going one for two with two RBIs and two walks. Big series for him, and you know, again, like always good. We've seen that David Ross is is going to use these platoons, right? He he that that's that's something he likes. Uh, and Hayward getting in there and and doing the job against right-handed pitching, two right-handed pitchers in this series for Cleveland, and Hayward cleans up out there, and that's what you like to see. So yeah. uh, really good stuff from Jason in this series, uh, you know, especially that home run on Tuesday to to take that, you know, from the Cubs having three runs to yeah. six runs, really opened up that game. It was an made impressive home run, too. Allowed. It was on a breaking ball right at his kneecap and turned on it, yeah. so kudos so just really good to see uh and again like it's it's always exciting to you know Ross made the change to move him just one spot down in the order and you know still contributing and and that's the whole point right is just to maximize all of this guys can still contribute in different roles in lesser roles or in the bottom of the lineup we, we've seen the Cubs bottom of the lineup has been killing it this year so moving guys down in the order like stuff like that like it's nitpicking but it's it it shouldn't be viewed as like you know dragging a guy or anything like that it can be very productive and it's you know we're, we're all just trying to figure out how we can maximize maximize this here. Uh, another guy in a similar vein who's been getting in there and doing really good work against right-handed pitching uh, is Jason Kipnis, who just looks really good, Brendan. And, you know, right now, I, I know this is kind of an, an easy comparison to make, but it it really does, and I, I've seen this a lot on, on Cubs Twitter, so if you've tweeted this, I am probably referencing your tweet. I just don't remember who's said this because it's been multiple people, but Kipnis is performing better, but I, I think in a general sense, kind of what you wanted Descalso to do when you brought him over, right? He's that veteran presence, gets extremely high marks from a clubhouse perspective, from his previous teams, from his current teams, from every coach or personality that you talk to, right? They all talk about how the, the personality and his leadership and stuff like that is there. And Kipnis is, is getting in there and he, he's playing against righties and he's doing a really good job of that. And I, I continue to really like, you know, Nico has, has found some struggles and that's going to happen with a guy his age. And we've talked about how it's, it's going to be 
something that this front office and David Ross have to balance uh, as far as monitoring the production this season, what adjustments you want Nico to be in there and trying to make, and then obviously caring and, and Nico's future being very important right. for you know how young he is. Uh, and when you have a guy like Kipnis who's able to get in there on those days against righties and do a really great job, it, it makes everything a lot easier as far as that other conversation as it relates to Nico. And obviously in this series in particular, Kipnis's presence and his personality on display, obviously returning to Cleveland where he had a long career, is is beloved by the fans and the organization. Uh, and, and just being able to hear him talk about that, being able to hear him talk about how excited he is to be on the Cubs and then the perspective that he has returning to Cleveland and and being on that other side of things is really fun and and again like really just shows off his personality and his leadership it, it it's all just to say right again it's all very early but the season is going to be very early it's only 60 games so uh it, it's another thing where like this is a signing that has worked really really well it was as low risk of a signing uh you know as as you're really going to find and he earned the job he earned the place on the team and he's thriving in this role and and anytime they ask him uh, about Nico, about the playing time, anything. He always just says he's he's ready to contribute. He's ready to be in the role that they ask him to be and, and, and take those opportunities when they come. And as we've mentioned on this podcast before, he's told Nico, when you're in there instead of me, I want you, you know, I hope you play to the point that I never get back out there. So it, it's 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 early, and you know we we haven't seen that much. But talk about uh, you know fi- like we've we've had plenty of like bad signings you know that we've had to talk about on this podcast. It, it's nice to have one that's just like this is going really well. Yeah, yeah. We talked about second base and center field and the depth, and we wanted just maybe one of them, one of Kipnis, of Bodie or Horner or Hap to come out and perform, and we're seeing. Basically, all of them do really well. I know Horner's numbers on the surface level are not the best, but there's there's suggestions there that his hard hit rate looks good, his quality of the at-bats look good, his plate discipline looks good. But in particular, with Kipnis performing so well and Hap taking hold of that center field job, we have like a legitimate good problem going on. How do we get... David Bodie more at bats when he's swinging at a career best rate of pitches outside the zone. How do we get Kipnis more at bats if he's this locked in? And how do we get Nico Horner's development going when everyone else is performing well? This is this is like the ideal scenario in my mind. We just wanted one of them to pop out and all four of them. That right. was the thing. It was like those four guys, center field and second base. And this bullpen. And right now, I'm not even thinking about the offense and the positional uh, flexibility at second base and center field of these guys. Like All my attention right now in terms of what will take this team to the next level is on that bullpen. From this lineup perspective, this is quite literally, and I, I mean this with no hyperbole, this is probably the, the ideal outcome. Like I don't think anyone in their realistic expectations thought this would happen. I don't even think you and I thought everyone would be clicking like this. And I want to read one quote before we turn it over to the bullpen uh, from Chris Bryant, but he sums it up perfectly. Chris Bryant told uh, the Chicago media after Wednesday's game against Cleveland, quote, it seems like there's not really a letdown in our lineup. I can't really remember a time playing for this team where it was really like that, where one through nine, there was just damage all through the order. I think it shows in our record, end quote. It does show in your record, KB. But I mean, that's 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 the point we're making is everyone in this lineup, one through nine, as KB said, is putting up quality grinding at bats. And it may not show in some of the base hits and extra base hits and home runs, but the quality of the at bats are noticeably different for almost every single hitter on this team right now. And that does extend to Nico. So I don't know how David Ross is going to manage Bodie and Nico and Kipnis going forward. It is a challenge, especially with 25% of the year done. But that is an incredible problem to have, one that I think realistically we would not have seen this year. Yeah. And so before we get into the bullpen, just uh, 
I have, I have two more notes, Brendan, yeah. if you'll allow me I on, on the I'll offense. Uh, one, I, I just want to check in on Ian Happ, who now, ha- after Wednesday's game, has a slap. And mind you, he went 0 for 5 in this game, and these are still what his numbers look like uh, in 53 plate appearances. A 302 batting average, a 434 on base percentage, and a 581 slugging percentage, mm. which in the quick math that I did here uh, is a 1015 OPS, good for a 427 weighted on base average. And a 175 WRC plus. Remember, with WRC plus 100 is league average. This is, I mean, going (laughs) just so well, Brendan. I mean, his his walk rate is up to 18.9%, and his K rate is 22.6%. This is this is I, there, that that gif and and people talk about it when he does like it's happening like Ian Happ is happening right now what what we dreamed of him what the Cubs drafted him to be you are seeing it right now he is taking walks he's cutting the strikeouts he's hitting homers he's I, I mean I, I I could gush about this but it's just so exciting and again it's a reason why we've railed for him to get that playing time because he's a guy who when we talk about you know you have to worry about extending Javi, extending KB, extending Rizzo, the the future, the payroll, this, that, and the other. Ian Happ has always represented the potential to be a yeah. part of that core and be one of those guys who is at that top level of players and contributors on this team. And he's doing it right now. And again, right, like it's early. We got to see this, but he was trending there in 2019, right? He had always put up pretty good numbers at the major league level, right? Despite being sent down and despite a lot of people not believing in him. But this is happening, Brendan. I mean, and it is really, really exciting. And if you're a fan of this team, you should be really, really excited about this. Ian Happ being your everyday center fielder and being a guy that you're talking, I mean, you're looking at this, if he keeps doing this, sixth in the order is not high enough, right? Like that is really, really exciting. And it is a big deal for this franchise as a whole, if he is this player. And again, like, am I expecting him to OPS over a thousand the entire year? You are, No, yes. <laughs> but like the, the fact that he is becoming the player and playing like the player that you, you've believed and wanted him to be is thrilling. And I, and I mean that literally. Yeah. Can I add one more point to that? It's, it's, of I, course. Yeah. We need to add one more point to this. Ian Happ, Corey, if we look at power alone, just take out the exceptional play discipline and the reduction in strikeouts. Just look at his power, his isolated power, which is slugging percentage minus uh, batting average. So it tries to quantify just what type of extra base hits are you getting here? Ian Happ, Corey, since August of last year, when he was called up, he ranks number 11 out of 248 players in isolated power. That is in the same tier, ready? Nolan Arenado, Juan Soto, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Alex Bregman, Aaron Judge, Nicholas Castellanos. That is the company he's in from power alone. This is not play discipline. This is not strikeouts. This is not batting average. Just Brendan, you power. know I love it when you talk dirty to me. <laughs> I mean, th- there is every... If you're not hyped about Ian Happ right now, something something Get is wrong hyped. with you. There is something... Yeah. He, has had two, he, he has had 200 plate appearances of this type of power, of this type of plate discipline. You have got to, you have got to get on this train. There's just no other explanation to not get on the train right now. This is exactly what you wanted as your 99th percentile projection for Ian Happ. He's doing it. Yes. He's acting as one of the best center fielders in the league. He has positional flexibility. He's a switch hitter. He's fast. He's young. I mean, come on, what more do you want? Uh, So the last note I have on the offense before we touch on the bullpen a little bit uh, is just to, obviously when the Indians and Cubs play each other, Lindor and Baez get to play with one another. You know, I think we've talked a lot about, and assuredly, if you watch the Cubs, you've heard a lot about their friendship and playing together uh, and and coming up as kids and all that. Uh, And I just, I, I, you know, we would be remiss if we didn't read this quote on air. Uh, but Javi, when talking about Lindor, they either they both of them, if you ever talk to one of them about the other, they just gush about the other one. So uh, this was nothing new, but the way this quote ends was just about the best thing ever. Uh, Javi on Lindor said, quote, he's the best shortstop in the game right now, but I'm El Mago. Mm. 
Love it. Ooh, man. <laughs> uh, whew, I need a fan. And I, after I that love one. his facial God. reaction when he says that too. It's so what perfect. a quote. Yeah. Just uh, what a quote. Uh, and I mean, I'll leave it at that. I mean, Javi speaks for himself. But touching on the bullpen, obviously, we didn't see too many guys, only a couple games here. So, uh, you know, not uh, that much to touch on. But I, I think the what I want to start with you, we, we've been kind of, you know, we've been updating the the kind of like, here's this group that we trust, right? I, I keep doing that. And I, and I want to stick to that. Uh, Ryan Tapera pitched in this series on Tuesday, had a nice inning of work. So I think he is definitely in that group um, of, you know, guys that are, are in that mix that are trustworthy that you can bring in uh, to protect the lead. Again, it, it's it, it's an evolving process to figure out exactly you know the the high leverage guys and and what the exact spot and threshold is for some of these guys. But I think it's it's pretty clear for the most part. Like this guy is in the yes, we trust him, use him group, and some guys are in the eh, like maybe if they're up by five or six or something like that, or maybe not at all type group, right? Uh, I think Tapera is in the former. Uh, and I talked about Jeffress. I mean, he literally hasn't allowed a hit, so <laughs> I'm not sure what else there is to say about that. He was touching 95 on Wednesday, um, so good to see that velo ticking up. Uh, and the, he, he's got that swagger. I think it assuredly oh, yeah. annoyed us when he was on the Brewers, but when it's on your side, you, love it. Uh, you know, he struck a guy out in the game on Wednesday, and, and the way he stepped off the mound, I was like ready to, uh, you know, rip a hole in the wall, run through the wall, whatever you want to say. Like, it was just like very exciting. Uh, he was pumped, and I love it. Uh, Rowan Wick is nasty. I don't think I need to tell you guys that. He threw some just absolutely disgusting curveballs in that game on Wednesday. Both of those guys, uh, their earned run average is zero, so I think that kind of speaks for itself. Uh, and really, you know, I, I, I said on Winkler, like, you know, I think he's in that the latter category of what I was saying. Like, I, you know, I'm not really sure. Um, he's had some good outings, but, you know, coming in, relieving Hendricks on Wednesday, immediately walks the leadoff hitter, walked another guy, is, a, a you know, a tight zone, but still walking a couple guys with a lead, you know, after you relieve Hendricks, like, we got to be better than that, especially leadoff walks out of the bullpen, man. Like, talk to you know, you all watch the game. A lot of you have played the game. You know, everybody, like leadoff walks are a killer. And especially when you've got the lead, you're on the road, you just got a great start. You just can't do it. You got to come in and, and, pump strikes or make the guys hit you. You can't be be offering up leadoff walks. And we've seen that kill this bullpen and this team for years now. So uh, Winkler's in that I'm not so sure group, uh, you know, kind of an outing on outing basis. Uh, and the only other guy that we saw in this series that I, I'm hoping you can shed some light on, uh, someone who we've mentioned, but someone who I, I believe is in that we trust him. Let's let's keep giving him some spots groups. And, and that's Colin Ray. Love Colin Ray. Love what he's been doing so far. The velocity is up. He even reached Corey 96 against that outing on Tuesday. And that was the fastest pitch he's thrown since 2016. So that was surprising to me. I did not expect Colin Ray to be showcasing that amount of velocity. And he is in that tier of like guys who you think could work out. You want to see more. You're curious to see how David Ross utilizes these guys. But as a whole with the bullpen, I've been really interested in what Tommy Hadovy has been doing. And I bring that up because all these guys, their sequencing has been so much different this year. We talked about Jeffress last episode with the splitter. He's throwing a splitter almost once every three pitches. That is well above what he's typically shown in years past. Rowan Wick is kind of doing something similar. He's pitching a little bit backwards where when I say backwards, he's not throwing mostly four-seamers like you typically see a lot of pitchers do. He's throwing a lot more curveballs instead of four-seamers this year. Like last year in 2019, he threw a curveball once every four pitches. That's typical what you see with a reliever who has high velocity. But this year, he's throwing a curveball almost once every other pitch. So that's that's a huge increase. So he's basically throwing equal amount of four-seamers and equal amount of curves. And I think that's why you're seeing some of the whiffs that we saw against the Indians on, on Wednesday, where he had uh, th- uh, 23 total pitches, 12 of which were curveballs, and he got three whiffs on those curveballs, and the other ones, the guys were just looking at them. They, he froze them. So going forward, 
we see the stuff that the bullpen has, but that's not the end-all be-all with this bullpen right now. It's how Hadevi is using these guys to their best advantage. And even with Jeffress throwing slower, he's throwing two miles per hour slower, he still is throwing slower. Wick is throwing one mile per hour slower. They're making up for that or compensating, whatever the word you want to throw out there, by changing their sequencing, by throwing more of their secondary pitches, by even developing a secondary pitch that they weren't comfortable with in years past, like Jeffress and a splitter. And it's paying dividends. And I think we can give credit to Ross utilizing these guys and having a fast hook with some of these guys, but Ross would not be able to use these guys as he's done if not for this pitching development infrastructure with Craig Breslow, with Tommy Hadevi. And when people ask, okay, what does that actually mean? Why is that even important? You're seeing it. It's important because the data that I'm assuming they're looking at is suggesting you need to throw different pitches. And they've been doing that successfully. They've adapted. They've been pitching backwards, throwing more secondary pitches. And if they keep doing that, maybe Dan Winkler becomes the next guy in that bunch with Wick and Jeffress. Maybe Colin Ray does end up being a high leverage guy because Hadevi and Breslow are doing something that they haven't done in years past. And I think that has to be encouraging. You know, you don't have to be confident about it, but at the very least, it is well within the realm of possibility that a lot of these guys in the bullpen will end up being contributors, many of whom you didn't expect before the year started. Yeah, so I think as we keep trying to sort of like keep track of this, like I do think we're getting there. I think we're building a, a nice list of names here. So if I forget anybody, I apologize. Hopefully Brendan can remind me or some of you will remind me on Twitter. But I think so far uh, where we stand, I would say, again, where you use them varies, how much we trust them varies. But I, I think that usable, these guys can contribute to a solid bullpen group. Uh, would be in no particular order, just as they come to me. Uh, Rowan Wick, Jeremy Jeffress, Tapera, Sadler, Colin Ray. Kyle Ryan is in a weird spot that Velo has been so down, uh, been giving up some hard contact, but you know he's he's he was such a reliable arm uh, for this team in 2019. So I, I think he's still in that mix, uh, but may have some stuff to work through. Uh, and I, I, I think that's the group, unless I, I forgot anybody. Again, like the Craig Kimbrell thing is an ongoing experiment. He was warming uh, with the Cubs up 7-2 to two, along with Jeremy Jeffress on Wednesday, but they opted for Jeffress. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't know. David Ross said on Wednesday that it's going to be a minute to, to get that ironed out. Uh, so hopefully, as we've said a million times, that's happening in games that Craig can't ruin for the Cubs. Uh, but other than that, I, I think we're getting there. I think we're seeing some of these guys start to step up. And again, like, I'm not going to sit here and advocate that that Casey Sadler be pitching in the ninth in a two to one game instead of Rowan Wick or Jeffress, right? But I, I think he's he can be a part of a bullpen that can be successful. He can come in, and and this applies to other guys too. Like they can come in, they can throw strikes, they can limit damage, they can get outs, and again, like compared to what we were dealing with like early in the year, the the bar is literally not a dumpster fire. So that's what we're going here for here. And I, I think some of these guys are stepping up and and taking hold of, of those roles. And whether we see some more changes here, uh, I don't know. You know, there's still guys in South Bend. You're going to have to deal with Q when he comes back. So this is going to be a, a revolving thing. But I, I think we're, we're, we are getting there. We're making progress to, okay, like we're starting to build a bullpen that we don't have to immediately send our nervous and freaking out gifts the minute that the starter comes out, right? Like, I think we're getting to the point where we can be like, okay, like, you know, maybe we can relax and hopefully they can, they can do this job. But uh, yeah, the, the, the last thing would just be, I mean, Rowan Wick and Jeremy Jeffers doing an incredible job right now. So uh, especially with how bad things were on the whole for the bullpen to start this year, the performances that those two guys have delivered to start this season cannot be undersold or oversold like huge huge job by them to step up and and be that kind of like calming trustworthy presence for David Ross his entire season okay so let's preview this upcoming series against the Milwaukee Brewers so the Cubs have a four game set at Wrigley Field against the Brewers beginning on Thursday Start time, 6.15 p.m. Central for Milwaukee. They have Brett Anderson, former Cub Brett Anderson, 
On the mound, he's 0-1 with a 5.4 ERA. He'll be facing Yu Darvish for the Cubs, 2-1 with a 2.12 ERA. And then on Friday, we have a 7.15 p.m. Central Star Time. For Milwaukee, you have Brandon Woodruff on the mound, who I believe is probably the best starting pitcher on that staff in terms of stuff. He's 1-1 with a 2.53 ERA. He'll be facing someone who has equally as good stuff in Tyler Chatwood for the Cubs, who is 2-1 with a 5.4 ERA, looking to rebound after his rough start uh, against the Royals' last outing. On Saturday, we have Adrian Hauser for Milwaukee, who is 1-1 with a 2.65 ERA. He'll be facing Alec Mills, who is 2-0 with a 1.38 ERA. That game starts at 7.15 p.m. And then to finish off the four-game set on Sunday, a day game, 1.20 p.m. traditional start time. We have Josh Lindblom on the mound for Milwaukee, who is 1-0 with a 5.68 ERA. We'll be facing your boy, John Lester, who is 2-0, and as we've said many times, with a 1.06 ERA. The Cubs right now stand at 12-3 atop the division. They are, as of now, as of Wednesday evening, they are five games up on the division, but that's because Cardinals have only played five games or two and three. Everyone in the division besides the Cubs are under 500. So the Brewers right now are seven and nine. They are five and a half games back of the Cubs. The Reds are eight and 10. They're five and a half games back of the Cubs. And the Pirates more or less should just stop playing baseball at this point. They're three and 13. They have it's a, so bad. It's <laughs> so bad. And they're nine and a half games out. They're going to be eliminated within the next two or three weeks. So that's what we have for this four-game set. I'm centering in on that second-base position. We've seen Kipnis more. We'll see what they're going to do with Nico Horner and his development. But other than second base and the obvious trends with the bullpen and the rotation, you just want to see the offense continue to grind at bats. And if they do so, the wins are going to keep following, Corey. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. I, I, I think it's really important to highlight just how, it's, to use the word important again, which is really great uh, radio hosting on, on my part, <laughs> uh, that they've banked these early wins and that they have the lead in the division that they do. I mean, I don't really know how to talk about the Cardinals at this point. I mean, they played five games, so... I, I I think they're supposed to get back out there this weekend, but like I don't really know how to look at that because like I don't know what their season's going to look like even going forward. Um, so for now, we'll just like wait and see with them. But with everybody else, you know, the the Reds have started and the Brewers have started not well, and and certainly the Reds are are playing vastly below what people expected them to do, and the Cubs have taken advantage of that. And to have only lost three games, to not have lost any series, and to have a five and a half game lead on the two teams behind you that have actually played more than five games is huge. We, we, you know, again, like it's a short burst and to have not started out struggling or, you know, you know, having that kind of like, no, they'll get hot. They'll turn it on. Like, no, they came out hot. And now it's up to the other teams to dig themselves out of these holes. And, you know, again, like you still have, there, there's always hurdles that can come up in, in any particular season, whether it's 60 games or 162 games. And the Cubs have built themselves a little bit of room to deal with that, right? And whether that's on, on the field, off the field, there we don't know. It's a, it's a weird season. But to be in the position where you are the ones that have the room for hurdles to come up and try to figure out how to get over them, that's a really, really good position to be. And obviously, look, like it's a 60-game season. The Cubs have won 12 of their first 15 games. I don't think I need to explain to you guys why that's a big deal, right? Like we're a quarter of the way through the season, and they've won 12 of 15 games. Like that's huge. In a, in a short season, coming out hot and getting the job done, especially when the bullpen has not been good, uh, especially, you know, it it in a lot of these games has not been that top of the order that's been driving the offense. You have been getting a lot of production from the guys hitting in the bottom portion of the order. Just, uh, I mean, if you, it's similar to half, like if you're anything but really hyped and really excited about the way that the Cubs have started this season, I, I don't know what to tell you because this is literally about as good as it could possibly have started. I, I mean, they're on an insane win pace right now, right? Like over the course of an 162 game season, an 800 win percentage. I mean, this is beyond anyone's expectations for how this could have started. And as far as this series in Milwaukee goes, just keep 
keep doing it. Keep digging that hole for these other teams, right? Like Milwaukee's not playing well. They they haven't played all, well all year. Keep it going. Just just keep this rolling. Keep doing your thing, and and keep building that distance in the division. It's it's hard to know exactly how important all of this is, right? In terms of there's a lot of teams making the playoffs. There's a bubble discussion going on. Uh, you know, so even without fans, you may or may not be playing at home. Even when you you get to the playoffs, the advantage might be literally batting in the bottom portion of the inning. Uh, but whatever it is, it's similar to David Ross's attitude about winning the trophy. If they're handing it out, we want it. If there's a division to be won and a higher playoff seed to be had, you want it. Go get it, go take it. And that's what the Cubs are doing right now. So I I mean, I am not really even looking for anything in particular. Like they're 12 and three and, and I'm thrilled with that. We are vibing. We are feeling good. We're feeling great, really. Uh, so just keep it going. I mean, just keep this thing rolling. That's that's really all I got. So uh, with that, I think that's all we have for you. Uh, I, I got to tell you guys, it is really, I love talking to you guys after the Cubs win two straight games in Cleveland. Uh, there's just something about winning two straight games in Cleveland that is really, really satisfying. Uh, so we're happy to do that and, and glad that the Cubs could could give us that in these two games and we could reminisce a little bit about other times where they've won two straight games in Cleveland. But all in all, I think that's what we have for you. Uh, four games set here with the Brewers, obviously, so we'll have uh, more to talk about than just these two games with Cleveland. Uh, hoping the Cubs keep things rolling, and as always, we appreciate you guys tuning in to the Cubs-related podcast. We will catch you guys uh, on late Sunday evening, early Monday morning. We'll recap the Brewers, and we'll get you prepared for the next one. So as always, uh, but this time, we're talking about the 12-3 and Chicago Cubs. We always end by saying, go Cubs. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.